0: You're listening to cool and unusual punishment. This is an epilogue to Lugan build our special series on the music man of Eau Claire. My name is Tyler and joining me tonight Jody, how are you?
1: I'm great. Jody, where are we? Well, I have something disjointed but important to start with. But where we're at is we've finished reviewing the investigation that was released by the police department. We have landed on the note of disappointment that the district attorney's office has decided not to move forward with prosecuting this case. Tonight we're going to dig into that a bit deeper, and then we are going to Take a look at some other cases of nonprofit embezzlement Mm -hmm. in the area and talk about what was or wasn't done with those and what maybe the bigger picture is with this issue beyond even just this case. Okay, before we dive into that, there was one thing I couldn't help but do when I was reading this investigation, and it had to do with the interview that was had with Sandra McKinney, in which she stated she did not know she was listed as an incorporator on the Form 102 Non-Stock Corporation Articles of Incorporation from the wisconsin department of financial of financial institutions so in the course of her interview she says she was not aware right yeah and i was like who else is listed on there and were they also not aware so i took a look at them i had verified these now this was back in 2021 when our original intent was to do this right one of the two parties i spoke to was not terribly excited for me to read their name off on the podcast. I'm going to respect that, but this isn't some huge mystery. You know, this isn't also private knowledge. Right. Okay, so there were two directors named in addition to Joe, which we won't get into that now. But as you can see, I think a larger problem with all of this right beyond this story is how one person... You
0: can just Mad Libs a uh, uh, 501 yes. <laughs> c document or whatever. Yeah,
1: why is there no signature for these people? Like, if you are going to name other people, like, as rather key, important folks, you know, why wouldn't you need to have that person sign off on this? Because guess what? The other two directors listed in this paperwork also did not know. There's Joe on there, the person listed after that. I verified that they didn't know on 12-8-2021. The last of the three people listed there, I verified no on 12-6-2021. And so other than Joe, every single person on the Articles of Incorporation was a fraud. So from the, the beginning, interestingly enough, I I don't have the trajectory of what happens after this. But like Sandra McKinney falls off. If you recall during that interview, she's on this one, but then at some point he makes some changes to the articles of incorporation and whatnot. Um, which isn't the most unusual thing to do. But she's no longer listed on there. Okay. So uh, you know. it it appears as though maybe it was like um, I need to put some people on here to start and then like slowly they start falling off but it's hard to speculate on the intentions of somebody when like the very first thing you do to become a thing is
0: dishonest Yeah. yeah
1: yeah Okay, so let's shift back to where we we ended. And it's the part where you learn that this isn't going to go anywhere as far as the investigation goes. So all this work has really... There's nothing to be done with it. The report gets rejected. Now, also, we... It's interesting to note how long it sat. This report, like, was submitted in 2020, and it wasn't until 2021. I mean, the news story I'm going to read to you from comes out November 17th of 2021. So it was quite a long time.
0: I feel like I remember when all this was going on that people were talking about what what about this investigation? Why isn't anything happening? And the sentiment that, hey, these things take time, like mm-hmm. you got to let the police do their thing, at least for a good portion of that, this report was just sitting on
1: the yes. shelf. Yes, the police <laughs> did do their thing. Right. I see it. Yeah. Um, okay. Statement comes out. After careful review of all of the police reports, documents, and information referred, consultation with colleagues... Inside and outside of the district attorney's office and discussion with the Eau Claire Police Department personnel, it was concluded that there was insufficient evidence to issue criminal charges. Based on the totality of evidence submitted for review and the complex nature of the law surrounding charitable organizations, the district attorney's office determined it could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt the required burden of proof the state must meet for conviction that Mr. Luganville committed a crime. If additional evidence comes to light and is referred to the district attorney's office, the charging decision could be reconsidered. I read that, and my questions were like, okay, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm also not somebody emotionally attached to this case personally, right? So I do think, like, wow, we read through most of that report, and it felt... Like, there was a lot of evidence there, right? Yeah. So I sent an email to the DA's office initially on November 22nd of 2021. I sent it to Eric Hughes, who's like the operations manager at the district attorney's office. Subject was follow up on statement not to prosecute. Hi, Eric. My name is Jody Haas. I do investigative work for a local podcast. I am working on an episode in the aftermath of the police report that was made public in the statement recently issued by your office. I was hoping you would be able to go into further detail regarding a few things in this statement. Number one, what is meant by the complex nature of the laws surrounding charitable organizations? Is there something in particular, a specific protection standard or law, That makes it difficult to prosecute in cases involving charities. Number two, does the need for more evidence involve additional questionable financial transactions not uncovered in Olivia Earle's investigation? And I didn't hear back. Then we come back to the show. So then I send it again on June 22nd of 2023 and I get an out of office reply and I still haven't gotten a response. So I don't know. It feels like those are questions, at least the first one. Yeah. Like, what, what are the complex things? Because I'm not suggesting that's not correct. I just don't know how or why. You know, people need to have closure, understand things. Like, I don't know. But all of this then got me on this trail of starting to think about what else has happened in this area. That's similar to this case. You know, maybe dollar amounts are more or less, but nonprofits. Right. And what has happened with those cases? Like, just take a look and see if there's a pattern. Are these things that get prosecuted most of the time? Are they things that don't get prosecuted? The bigger question being what can be done from a legislative point of view or
0: mob justice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like are there things that could be put into place that would make it more difficult for this to happen again so that you don't just have to rely on some
0: guardrails maybe that would keep (laughs) up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because then you know I do think that at the end of the day you know the district attorney has some freedom to decide that's their opinion, right? Yeah. So oh, maybe it would be great if you had to rely on that less. Let's start looking at some of these cases. This one's from January 10th, 2021. Eau Claire woman sentenced for stealing $33,000 from Sam Davy. that's an elementary school in Eau Claire, PTA, other organizations. The Eau Claire woman accused of stealing from three local organizations pleaded guilty to two of the charges against her. Christine Buse was accused of stealing nearly $33,000 while serving as the treasurer of the Sam Davey Elementary PTA and the Boy Scout and Girl Scout troops. Authorities said she would write checks to herself, not deposit fundraiser money, and even run bar tabs on the Girl Scouts account. When confronted, she said she planned to pay it all back, but it got out of hand. Judge Emily Long ordered Buse to do nine weeks of community service, pay back the money at $1,000 per month, and not serve as treasurer of any organization's. If she complies and doesn't break any laws for three years, one felony charge will be dismissed and the other will be reduced to misdemeanor theft. So there's a person who stole not that much more money. Yeah. But it was the Girl Scouts and it was the Boy Scouts and it was a school PTA.
0: The behaviors listed there generally as, Super as they similar. are described sound very Similar, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that was just as recent as was happening at the same time.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the the behavior seems similar. And what I assume would be the evidence that you would have that those things happened, I have to imagine, would be very similar. Financial forensic yeah. evidence.
1: Yeah. Okay. December 3rd, 2020. Eau Claire woman sentenced after being found guilty of stealing from Humane Association local business. The Eau Claire woman found guilty of stealing thousands of dollars from the Eau Claire County Humane Association was sentenced to five years in prison in Eau Claire County Court on Thursday. Judge John deeds sentenced 48-year-old Nicole Wilson to five years in prison along with 10 years of combined extended supervision and probation. In May, Wilson pleaded no contest and a judge found her guilty of three felonies, including theft in a business setting and fraud against a financial institution. A criminal complaint filed in the case says says Wilson tried to cash a $60,000 check from the Eau Claire County Humane Association at a Royal Credit Union branch in Eau Claire. She had served as the bookkeeper there for about five months in 2018. In court on Thursday, Judge Many Deeds called her her actions reprehensible. You took money from the Humane Association, for goodness sakes. The Humane Association. They have bills and things they have to pay as well. And then to pass it off as a loan? Really? That's insane, he said.
0: That is, that is a classic judge many deeds monologue though
1: (laughs) so then it continues to go on and talk about like people read victim impact statements and whatnot um (laughs) but i had to follow up with this part of it former eau claire accountant gets more time behind bars april 9th 2021 the woman serving prison time for embezzling from the eau claire county humane society has more time tacked onto her sentence Thursday. Oh no. Nicole Wilson was sentenced after being charged with forging some of her clients' names to apply for loans, including small business COVID loans through the Federal Paycheck Protection Program. Judge John, many deeds gave Wilson five years to be served after the five years she got from stealing from the Humane Association. He also ordered her to pay more than $72,000 in restitution. (laughs) You know, though, like after this case, that's not that shocking to me. No. You know? Here we go. Okay, July 14th, 2022. Eau Claire. A charge of misdemeanor theft against a Fall Creek woman accused of stealing from a charity she founded was dismissed in Eau Claire County Circuit Court Wednesday. The charge was dismissed without prejudice, meaning the case can be brought back to court. This is a this one went on for quite a long time, and I think most people will recognize this case. 52-year-old Shawna Hansen was originally charged with theft by false representation of an amount between $2,500 and $5,000, a felony. But the charge was amended to misdemeanor theft when the state could only show a $2,200 discrepancy in the charity's funds. According to online court records, now note that amount. Yeah. Right? According to online court records, prosecutors motioned to dismiss the charge on July 13th. The motion to dismiss stated that It is not in the state's interest to continue prosecution. Based on additional follow-up received after the filing of the initial criminal complaint, the state, at most, can prove that money donated to the awaited blanket program was not all used for that program. Even if the state proves this, further prosecution is not in the interest of justice. And the original charges... Hansen was accused of depositing more than $63,000 intended for the charity she founded, helping Hands for Our Children, into her personal account over the course of three years. A motion to dismiss the case was denied in April of 2021. That was a big one in this area because that's actually a charity that is, I believe, still active and did stuff. Yeah. That amount of money flabbergasts me, to be honest with you. That's not that one when you compare it to this one. Like, well, that was a drop in the bucket that they could prove, you know. February 21st. A Lake Hallie woman has been charged with stealing $83,000 from a youth basketball program in Chippewa Falls. Lisa Johnson, 54, was charged in Chippewa County Court on Friday with a felony count of theft in a business setting. Johnson is slated to appear in court April 12th before Judge James Isaacson. According to the criminal complaint, the thefts occurred between September 2014 and August 2021. A Chippewa Falls police officer met with the president and the treasurer of Cardinal Flight Girls Basketball, a nonprofit organization based in Chippewa Falls. The organization leader said there had been some discrepancies... When the new treasurer took over in 2021, it took several weeks before Johnson gave her the books, so there was a transfer here. Yeah. The new treasurer immediately saw some discrepancies and went through data going back to 2013. It is common for the basketball organization to purchase grocery items to be sold at basketball tournaments they host. The treasurer said they were often cash withdrawals within a day or two prior to the tournaments to pay for the items. Money would then be returned to the account after a tournament concluded. Why does it have to be cash withdrawals? Why can't you just use a debit card?
0: That's- because that would make it too easy
1: to
0: <laughs> commit fraud.
1: <laughs> yeah, like that was something else I had pondered. Like here it's mentioned, so it just makes me think of this. If you're a nonprofit and you have a bank account, and then perhaps you have a debit or credit you know, card associated with that, When we were reading through the transaction history for Joe and there's all these ATM, like why would anybody be withdrawing from an ATM for a nonprofit? What would you be doing with cash for your books where it would be a good idea to do that? I can't think of a reason.
0: Yeah. In fact, it, I mean, it, it, it seems more likely that there'd be something like if you had to buy groceries before a game or whatever that you sell that you would have something set up with the grocery store that your nonprofit, like you charge it to an account or something. Yeah. Rather, like, I got to go to the ATM, I get $400 out so I right. can buy all these, all these snickerdoodles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Tournaments would typically generate $2,000 in revenue. The new treasurer indicated that she believes, quote, there were instances in which Johnson would not deposit all the money after a tournament due to the low deposit amounts. So that part I understand, you know, if you're dealing in cash at the tournament, then you take that cash and you go deposit it as donation to your account. For instance, only $901.75 was deposited in February Slow 2020. night. Slow after three tournaments. Ooh, boy. Far yeah. less than what those events typically generate in revenue. The investigator went through payments made from the account which included a private phone bill as the organization doesn't have a cell phone. Other payments were made at restaurants, bars, department stores, Mall of America, Micon Cinemas, Universal Insurance. Boy, I wish I could see the report on this one. This sounds like an interesting case. And other entities. In August 2021, the account was used to pay airfare and baggage fees for Delta Airlines tickets. These have all got a similar...
0: Yeah, you don't see a lot of um, personal electric bill. (laughs) Not that that would make it better,
1: but... Yes, I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Based on the information provided, it appears Johnson misused the account for the amount of $83,846.93. However, she later deposited around seventy three thousand nine hundred and nineteen dollars back in the account, the officer explained that it is still a theft of eighty three thousand dollars, but seventy three thousand dollars would be applied toward restitution now isn't that interesting? what's the amount for the Luganville Children's Foundation that was inappropriately yeah, even if it was paid back that's still theft. Yeah, I'm just having sort of a moment right now where it's like, yeah. But see, again, this is different people, right? This is a different county. Yeah. The officer interviewed Johnson in November where Johnson admitted she had been borrowing money, borrowing money from the account the entire time she was in charge of it. She claimed she used the money to support her children. But then, of course, you look at what the charges were for.
0: Gotta get those kids. So she was
1: accused of stealing. She's been charged with it. But now I don't know what, like, the final result has been. It's just, uh, it was just a year ago. Um,
0: gotta take your kids to Disneyland.
1: <laughs> you gotta do it. Gotta get them there. Once yeah, in a everybody's lifetime. doing it. You gotta do it. <laughs> this one. Is another one folks might remember? November 9th, 2021. Eau Claire nonprofit theft case dismissed after the founder pays restitution. A charge of felony theft from a business setting filed in 2019. And I'm, I apologize in advance for butchering this name. Against Eau Claire resident Renell Laffey was dismissed Monday after she paid more than $10,000 in restitution to the Wisconsin Department of Revenue. She was charged with stealing several thousand dollars in 2019 from Hope in the Valley, a cancer advocacy charity that she founded. According to the criminal complaint, Eau Claire Police received information from a confidential source that Laffey was using Hope in the Valley funds for her own personal gain, she was the only person permitted to make foundation account transactions at the time. Upon further examination into the foundation's finances, police found evidence of Laffey's personal use of the money. Several foundation checks were made out to Laffey or to Angela's spa, salon and spa, which she owned. Police found that almost $70,000 in Hope in the Valley funds went towards Laffey's business expenses, closing costs for her home. Gym memberships for her boyfriend and son, her personal RV loan, and other expenses.
0: Personal RV loan.
1: Laffy <laughs> cited poor bookkeeping skills and forgetfulness. Not good. Not
0: good at the numbers. Was never a numbers
1: girl, you know? As an explanation. However, Laffy paid back $22,000 out of her own bank account and she donated $8,800 to Joshua's camp out of pocket in the foundation's name. Police estimated that around $36,000 remains unreimbursed. Eau Claire County Judge John Deeds rejected an initial deferred plea agreement that the prosecution and defense submitted on April 19th. Attorneys then agreed on a different resolution. As negotiations continued with Ms. Laffey's defense attorney, ultimately what was decided would be in the best interest of all parties was dismissal based on her upfront payment of $10,150.80 in restitution, said Eric Hughes, office manager for the Eau Claire County District Attorney's Office. The District Attorney's Office and Laffey's attorney agreed on the restitution amount after accountants for Laffey and the Department of Revenue examined case documents. Based on what they could glean from that and what they could actually match up to each other, That was the figure that was agreed upon that could actually be proven. At the end of the day, the records were such that it was a virtual impossibility to solidly say exactly what went where with the money. The record keeping just wasn't good enough to identify exactly what money was supposed to go where and how much. And that's Eric Hughes.
0: Not for nothing, but Hope in the Valley sounds like something that would be right at home within the umbrella of the Luganville Foundation. Yeah, it does. (laughs)
1: So we've got all these cases, right? I then was a little curious to see what happens when somebody steals from a business that's not a nonprofit, uh-huh. and I got a couple of those. November 14th, 2019, a woman accused of stealing nearly $20,000 from Eau Claire County while working in the finance department has pleaded guilty. Police said Susan O'Connor was hired as a temporary employee through a local staffing agency. In July of 2018, she's accused of writing a $15,000 county check to herself and another for nearly $5,000 to her landlord. Investigators say she used the money to pay bills, pay back loans, and take a trip to Pennsylvania. Thursday, she pleaded guilty to both counts against her. She faces a maximum penalty of more than 13 years in prison at her sentencing, which is yet to be scheduled. And I didn't see a follow-up on that. Uh, March 6, 2021. A Stanley woman will be sentenced May 26 for embezzling more than $35,000 over a three-year period from an Eau Claire promotional products company where she worked. Karen Phillips pleaded guilty recently in Eau Claire County court to two felony counts of theft in a business setting. Judge Sarah Harless found Phillips guilty and ordered a pre-sentence investigation by the State Department of Corrections. Harless is not bound by the agreement and can sentence Phillips up to 10 years in prison. According to the criminal complaint, Eau Claire police met with the owner of Dean & Associates about the possible embezzlement of money from the business by Phillips, who was the office manager. The embezzlement occurred from 2013 to 2015. The owner said he suspected somebody was embezzling money and noted that Phillips was authorized to use the company credit cards to pay vendors and expenses. The owner said he then checked the business checking account at RCU and found unauthorized payments to Phillips police interviewed phillips and she admitted to writing unauthorized company checks to herself she had no idea when she started writing them when asked how many times she wrote unauthorized checks she said i have no idea i couldn't even guess
0: Well, I'll ask you first. Where does our little story fit based on all these other stories?
1: I think my conclusion is that there appears to be not enough oversight into nonprofits. And because of that, it is easy to do things like embezzle money, like something as simple as maybe you aren't allowed to have your whole family be the board of
0: directors.
1: (laughs) I, I don't know what my conclusion is other than to say that there's clearly some amount of work that needs to be done to try to keep this from happening again and again, regardless of intention, good or bad at the very start, you can say, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I'm going to file the paperwork you can file the paperwork which doesn't even have to be factual and you can get yourself a nonprofit with not a whole lot of investment then you can start collecting money for that nonprofit do with it whatever you want maybe you start paying yourself back maybe you don't and at the end of the day you could have a quite a large discrepancy of money that other people gave you to do good things with it and most likely not going to have any consequences for it, so that's where we're at. What do you do about that is the question, right?
0: yeah, it does seem like in terms of numbers, in terms of the amounts of money embezzled, the children's foundation alleged crimes feel like they fall you know they fall well within like this range of stories and and in this case, it seems unusual that this case wasn't even brought. To begin with.
1: Yeah, it does. So, you know, until there's changes made, I guess you really have to do your due diligence in looking into charities. And then, of course, it's like, well, what does that mean? Don't put that on people. Like, if it's a nonprofit who's raising money for something. Look,
0: if you're at a charity auction and Lamb Chop is there. You should be able to feel good when you donate money.
1: (laughs) To think that even if you gave $50, $25, that like it was potentially used for something is like a tough pill to swallow because, you know, Joe's case was incredibly, I mean, from what we were privy to, you know, they were able to come up with a laundry list of transactions and... $22,000 that was left unaccounted for. Um, That part, I think, is the truly problematic part, is the bigger picture here.
0: Maybe the the bylaws should be enforceable by somebody other than the people in the foundation?
1: Yeah, it's super frustrating, and I'm sure people listening are frustrated too. Uh, During the course of recording this, there was somebody who requested... We put together a timeline that pulls the information from the investigation and, like, those financial transactions and maybe, like, a loan, you know, and, like, maybe try to find a way to piece that with what was going on publicly with the Children's Foundation or the Smile House. So that's a great idea. I forget who suggested that, but I'm totally down to do that. It will take some time, but I'll start working on that. Um, You know, this case is always... Like, here we are, it's the epilogue, and there's still an ellipsis at the end of it. Yeah. But that being said, like, it is our intention to...
0: Oh, yeah, maybe we'll put a more clear button, as far as you and I are concerned, where are we headed post-Lugan build?
1: Yeah, we are headed towards working on Poor Man's History for a hot minute. Mm -hmm. That's, if you haven't listened, is when we take true crime stories from the area and kind of give them the Luganbill treatment. And I might have identified our next long series. It's not something that we've ever discussed or teased on here. So there will be more to come there as well. So we're definitely back and we're definitely doing stuff. Uh, Thanks for everybody's support.
0: Thanks for listening and stay tuned. LuganBuild is presented by Cool and Unusual Punishment. Research and story by Jody Haas, with editing and mixing by me. Music by Zavely, Rick Dickert, AG Music, Rakat, John Wright, and Christian Ayan. This podcast is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Network, a coalition of Wisconsin-produced shows that you can find at nerdandtie.com. Our website, where you can find a link to the full report from this episode, is coolandunusualpunishment.com. Gotta take your kids to Disneyland.